I am the ferryman. In the shadows of the afterlife, the ferryman of souls guides America's most influential spirits to their eternal rest. Where are you taking me? Are you death? This road is not on any map. How much for a ticket? All I ask for in payment is a tale. I don't know who got to Kennedy first. And the devastation those first bombs caused. I've never been to hell, but I know intimately the hymns of the damned. Binge the season of The Passage now. Listen on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen to podcasts. I'm Diosa. And I'm Mala. We are the creators of Locatora Radio, a radiophonic novella, which is a fancy way of saying... A, a podcast. podcast! Welcome to Locatora Radio Season 9. Love, Love at, at First, first Listen. Listen. This season... We're falling in love with podcasting all over again. With new segments, correspondence, and a new sound. Listen to Locatora Radio as part of the Michael Dura Podcast Network, available on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Brought to you by the reinvented 2012 Camry. It's ready. Are you? Welcome to Stuff You Should Know from HowStuffWorks.com. Hey, and welcome to the podcast. I'm Josh Clark. Uh, hi. With me is Charles W. Chuck Bryant. Bryant. Charles Bryant. How is it going, <laughs> Chuck? It's an odd way to introduce yourself, don't you think? Not if you're a super spy. Are you a super spy? Actually, I wouldn't say James Bond was even a spy. Secret Service? Is that a spy, really? No, he was an assassin and yeah. just general plot disruptor, I would say. He was a blunt instrument of the crown. Yeah, if you wanted the job done and you couldn't, if you didn't have time to worry about, you know, the politics or, you know, the diplomacy, that kind of thing, you sent James Bond. Yeah, get JB on the phone, 007. Yeah. He'll, you know, he'll take care of business like Elvis. You could call him on his car phone long before any car had a phone yeah right oh yeah he, he was always predating uh technology yeah as a matter of fact there's a james bond theory of entrepreneurial innovation i believe that uh in from russia with love 1963 he um talked i can't remember who he talked to but he was in his car using the phone yeah that was in his car and audiences went nuts for it. Oh, yeah. They were like, oh, my God, he's on the telephone. Right. In a car. But that's what they sounded like in England, though. Oh, yeah. Well, sure. Did they, they Possibly just... Ghana. Right. <laughs> uh, so, Josh, where do we start here? We can't We can't not start with uh, Ian Fleming. Ian Fleming. That's where we got to start. Let's do it. No, that was there was a colon after that. Oh, Ian <laughs> Fleming colon was, as everyone knows, and, and if you didn't, you need to get out from under your rock that you reside uh, in right now, the creator of James Bond right. in novel form. He was also uh, originally a journalist and a stockbroker, yeah. and uh, World War II starts to come around, and he joins the Naval re, naval Volunteer. Royal Navy. Royal Navy. Uh-huh. Um, and he was actually, Chuck, did you know? Assigned as a spy himself in Washington D.C. Yeah, sort of a spy, you could call it. He um, 
he was in intelligence and he would occasionally have, he was an administrative guy, but sometimes they would send him out to do field work where he would take secret uh, pictures of documents, just right. like in the movies. Do you know who was uh, assigned to his spy unit? James Bond. Oh, yeah. No. There was a guy who was the inspiration for James Bond. His yeah. name was William Stevenson, a.k.a. Intrepid, right? Yeah, one of many inspirations. Right, but in, in, in an interview in the Times in 1962, Fleming said, you know, James Bond is this romanticized version of a spy, uh, Bill Stevenson is the real thing. Right. He well, romanticized say, version of himself. To an extent, sure. Yeah. Um, another member of that spy ring was a guy named Roald Dahl, who uh, oh, wrote yeah. uh, James and the Giant Peach and Charlie and the Chocolate Factory. Yeah, and a bunch of body books. Right. He also had the non-children's books that were a little racier. Yes. Not many people know that. So, Chuck, let's talk a little bit more about Ian Fleming. Well, give it to us, buddy. Yeah, I mean, he like I said, he was he sort of James, based James Bond on kind of I think who he wanted to be. He was a playboy. He was an island hopper, an he, adventurer, an adventurer, a skier. He he dove with Jacques Cousteau mm-hmm. and uh, you know snow skied from the tops of mountains in Switzerland right. and had a place in Jamaica where he actually wrote all these books. Right. He uh, he named the place Goldeneye. And every uh-huh. year he would go to Jamaica and write a book. And I just want to dig him up and throttle him for that because I mean, what a, what a life. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Oh, it's time for me to go to my estate in Jamaica and write a book that's going to just make me millions more. Yeah. Which he did. And, uh, he reportedly <laughs> picked the name James Bond because he wanted the most boring name he could find. For his super secret agent. I think he didn't want the name to compete with the actual character. Like, you, why you, bother giving him some fancy name? Just sure. name him James Bond and have him kick butt. Right. You know what the opposite of that is? Hacksaw Jim Duggan? Yeah. <laughs> you should have named him that. Yeah. Well, then it would have competed with the character. Duggan. Hacksaw Jim Duggan. Right. <laughs> I could hear that. Um, so, yeah, he wrote... Uh, see, the article says 13 novels... Well, he wrote 13 books. I got 14. What's the 14th? Well, I've got 12 novels plus two short story collections. Right. For Your Eyes Only. Uh Uh-huh. And Octopussy in the Living Daylights was another collection. Right. So it seems like it'd be easier to find this out, but I literally saw two different sets of information. Huh. So are we going to go with 14? Because you are quite the uh, sniffer. Let's let's go with 14 total. Okay. 12 novels. All right. But uh, he he wrote... um, I think he wrote the novels first, maybe? Or did he write the short story books like in between? Yeah, they were they were in between. They were toward the end. Okay. But so when he was getting fat and lazy in Jamaica. Yeah. Interestingly though, or maybe it's not that interesting. They made the movies way out of order. Yeah, they did. Uh the Doctor No was the first film, but that was the sixth novel. Right, but did you know that they originally the people who made the official Bond movies originally wanted to make Thunderball? Thunderball was a story that Ian Fleming came up with with another guy who um, 
who wanted the rights to make a movie out of it. Oh, really? That fell through, but Ian Fleming went ahead and wrote the story anyway that they uh-huh. came up with uh-huh. as Thunderball. The guy sued his pants off and actually gained custody, gained the rights to the book Thunderball, which that. tied it up and um, made them opt for Dr. No to go first instead. There was a lot of litigation over the years in the Bond franchise. Yes, there was. I guess when you have a franchise that long and that vast, there's going to be people suing people over something. Well, plus it's legendary. He's a legendary character, and and, you know he's made a lot of money for a lot of people. Absolutely. Uh, The other interesting thing I thought just before we move on was that Moonraker was written in 1955. That was the third novel. That is insightful. And of course, there wasn't a space shuttle. Like they they changed the setting and all that stuff, mm-hmm. but it did involve like a nuclear weapon. So you know, kind of odd. And uh, <laughs> Man with the Golden Gun, which was the uh, Roger Moore's second film, right. was and the final novel, and it was released after his death. Huh. So it was way out of order. And in that one, he predicted Hervé Villachay. Which nobody saw coming except Ian Fleming. Yeah, you know? you're right. Yeah, it's weird. Let's talk about um, James Bond a little bit. Okay, Chuck. the character James Bond. So um, it turns out James Bond had a Scottish father, which he yeah. didn't originally. No, that came about because of uh, Sean Connery. Yeah, Ian Fleming was not a big fan of Sean Connery at um, first. At yeah. first, and then uh, Sean Connery was like, "Check this out." And he made uh, one peck go up while the other went down yeah. a bunch of times. <laughs> yeah. And Ian Fleming just like clapped and squealed, and that was that, right? Right. Um, he was a big fan, and he said, you know what? You are James Bond. And um, he actually went back and changed James Bond's history yeah. to kind of match Sean Connery a little bit because he came to see, like, this guy is Bond, right? Yeah. So he gave James Bond a Scottish father. Andrew. And a, and a Swiss mother. Monique Delacroix. And, and nice. Yeah. And they both died uh, mountain climbing, right? Yes. When uh, little James was 11 years old. And um, he went to the orphanage. And he went to an orphanage. He was supposedly born on November 11th, 1920. But there are different accounts of his birthday and when he was born. And clearly when you have a franchise with Daniel Craig playing him in 2008, mm-hmm. he can't be born in 1920. Yeah, because it's Bodies, the scale. exhibition, wasn't showing in, in Miami in right. like 1958 or anything. So, uh, yeah, there's a sliding scale there, obviously, to make it viable. But um, James, much like his uh, author namesake, Ian Fleming, not namesake, making James Bond. <laughs> Much like the author Ian Fleming was, um, went to the Royal Navy in World War II, rose to the rank of commander. Yes. After the war, that's when he entered the SIS, known as MI6. Right, which is the sixth branch of the Military Intelligence Directorate. You got that, buddy. Right, and his first two assignments, Chuck. Yeah. Were two taps, weren't yeah. they? Assassinations, right yeah. off the bat. So he, that's apparently you have to kill two people to get a double O status, which is the license to kill. And he got him, like you say, right off the bat. Yeah, and he was the seventh dude to get him, so that's where 007 comes from. Right. The seventh agent, which shouldn't say dude, because there, there were, were there female agents? Well, yeah, there were female agents. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> I'm pretty sure. Uh, oh, and we should probably take the time here to explain. I like James Bond. I know that you like James Bond movies, too. Uh, is this the disclaimer? Yeah. We're going to get killed here. Um. We are not members of James Bond fandom, I would say. Right? 
I mean, I've seen all the movies, but no, I haven't studied the books. I've and... never read any of the books. I don't think I've seen all the movies. Yeah. And um, but I do like them in a very recreational manner. So that being said, we are not going to get every single thing right here. Right. If we are going to walk right past information sure. that we just don't know exists. Yeah. So, in a very friendly manner. If there is anything that you have to say that can round this podcast out even further, the more we love knowing new things. That's so. Please let us know. I guess is what we're saying, right? Oh, they'll let us know. They will. Except for the like three dudes that just turned it off and went. Well, they have no business even attempting this thing. Right. And then they go give us a one star rating on <laughs> iTunes. So back to Bond. He, um, as we all know, is a uh, sharp dresser and he loves fast cars. He loves his martini, shaken, not stirred. He loves women. Yeah, and do you know if you shake a martini instead of stirring it, you pretty much ruin it? I, I disagree. I shake all my martinis. Dude. How does it ruin it? It um feathers it, I think. What does that mean? It means it's screwed up. What does that mean? <laughs> I like a good dirty martini myself. Oh, you like them dirty? Oh, yeah. Gross. Jared just like said my, word. I like my martinis so light, it's basically just a vodka rock. So you just like the vermouth bottle just waved near the glass? Pretty much. I like just a little vermouth, little olive juice, but no olive. No olive juice. I'll put in all, I'll put three olives in usually. Really? Yeah. All right. But then I, <laughs> I eat them so fast that they have no time to taint the martini. Well, that's why you're not a super spy. No. So Josh, uh, James Bond, a couple of the other traits we should just mention. He is a, uh, martial artist. He's a gifted man with his fist and feet. <laughs> right. Or if you're Roger Moore, a karate chop. <laughs> yeah. He, he loved actually, the karate chop. Oh, yeah, yeah. That was a big deal in the 70s. And he um, carried a famously carried a Walter PPK handgun, 32 caliber. Yeah. And that's a little guy. Have you ever seen him? Oh, yeah. They're small. And I've played Goldeneye and I've <sighs> played... Best game I guess ever. I just played Goldeneye. It is a great game. Yeah. And you know they're bringing that back for Wii. I've heard. Matt Frederick of uh, Coolest Stuff on the Planet told us that they are bringing that back because it's still sort of the standard for first-person shooters, like uh, 15 years on. Yeah. It's still a great game. So they're bringing it back as is, like completely as it was, but with better graphics. That's going to be fantastic. For the Wii. Yeah. Pretty exciting. Back to the real life. Yes. Of the fake life of James Bond. (laughs) (laughs) That's what we should have titled this podcast. The real life of the fake life. Yeah. All right, game off. Let's pause here to talk more about Monopoly Go. Because in Monopoly Go, you can team up with your friends for timed tournaments where you work together to build up each other's boards. It's very nice. That's right. And the more you win together, the more awesome prizes you unlock. And there's so much to get. I'm talking about unique stickers that you can trade with friends to complete albums for big prizes, cool new playing pieces to travel the boards with, or hilarious emojis for taunting friends when you smash their buildings or heist their vaults. Plus, Monopoly Go feels new and exciting every day with constantly changing tournaments and challenges, like digging for treasure or a robot pachinko machine. And there's always new timed events that help you win big, like massive multipliers for everything you win or rent frenzies. That's right. There's always something fun to discover in Monopoly Go. So get off the bench and go download it now for free on Google Play or the App Store. Game on! I'm Elliot Connie, and this is Family Therapy. My best hopes, I guess, identify the life that I want and, and work towards it. I've never seen 
a man take care of my mother the way she needed to be taken care of. I get the impression that you don't feel like you've done everything right as a father. Is that true? That's true. And I'm not offended by that. Thank you for, for going through those things and thank you for overcoming them. Wow. Uh, thank God for the limits. Every time I have like one of our sessions, our sessions be positive. It just keeps me going. I feel like my focus is redirected in a, in a different aspect of my life now. So, how'd we do today? We did good. The Black Effect presents Family Therapy. Listen now on the Black Effect Podcast Network, iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. How about, uh, let's talk about some of the enemies. Dr. No. He was the first one to appear in the films. Dr. Julius No. Right. He's an atomic scientist. Yeah, he, he was clearly, uh, Joseph Wiseman played him, and he was a great, great villain. Uh, Goldfinger, you can't talk about Bond without talking about Goldfinger. Yeah. He was, eh, you don't like him? No, not really. I was a big Goldfinger guy. Were you? He tried to laser the crotch of James Bond. Oh, yeah, that's, that's right. Pretty hardcore. Yeah. It's like Max Scorpio. <laughs> yeah. That? In uh, that Simpsons where oh, yeah. Homer ends up going to work for the supervillain. Right. Yeah. He's like, no, Mr. Bond, I expect you to die. and be <laughs> a very cheap funeral. Uh, Odd Job was one of my favorite. He was one of Goldman's henchmen, the big I loved uh, him too, yeah. Asian guy with the bowler hat that yep. he could cut like the head off a statue. Yeah, with he his hat. Huge. Yeah, very big dude. Yeah. Uh, Jaws. We grew up with Roger Moore. Uh huh. So you can't not talk about Jaws. No, he was great too. He was in two of them, right? He was in uh, Moonraker and The Spy Who Loved Me. I thought he might have been more than that, but he he definitely. No, I looked it up. He was only in two. Two, really? Uh-huh. God, he made quite an impression. Yeah, he did. He found the girlfriend in the, in Moonraker, I think. Yeah, right? he falls in love or something. Yeah, the little like nerdy girl. Yeah. And then he pops up again in Happy Gilmore. Was he in that? Yeah. I didn't see that. Yeah, he uh, was Happy Gilmore's boss, like on the construction site, and he ends up becoming a fan. And wow. Did he have the teeth? Just, no, he didn't have the <laughs> teeth. just for the movie. But uh, he was a big guy. Yes. Uh, lately, we've had more recent villains that I don't think the new villains compare, personally. No, they kind of come and go, you know? There's, like, uh, in um, Casino Royale. Yeah. I mean, they're okay, but they're all... I can't tell you who the villain was. Yeah, that... The, like, they're all decent, but they're not, like, iconic characters like they used to be. Right, like Blofeld. Yeah, well, Blofeld was the sort of legendary, I don't know how many movies he was in, but he was played by, like... Telly Savalas, Telly Donald Savalas. Pleasance. Yeah, Donald Pleasance was my favorite version. Yeah, he was good. And Max Van Sydow played him, I think, in uh, Never Say Never Again, maybe. Nice. Max Van Sydow, he's a class act. Yeah, I was... What did I watch the other day? Oh, Shutter Island? He's in that, and I yeah. told I leaned over to Emily. I was like, you know, I want to see Max Van Sydow play like a kindly grandfather in a movie. <laughs> I don't think he can pull it off. Anytime that dude pops up in the movie, you're like, oh well, he's the evil doer, right? He's the villain, or so you think, until Shutter Island falls apart at the end. <laughs> don't ruin it. Yeah. So, uh, yes, that was Blofeld. He was the bald guy, and he was the head of Spectre, which was the special executive for counterintelligence. Terrorism, Revenge, and Extortion. Right. <laughs> that's a great uh, villainous title there. Which, that's not only like a great name. Yeah. It's your mission statement. Yeah. You know? All wrapped up into one. Um, one of my favorites, Max Zorin, played by the great Christopher Walken. He was the, um, <laughs> he was the dude. I know you love that movie. one of the best Bond movies ever. But that had the worst Bond woman ever. Grace Jones? No, Tanya Roberts. 
I don't remember her. She was the Bond girl. I don't remember. She was the lady from the 70s show that was like uh, one of the late Charlie's Angels replacements. Tanya Roberts, yeah. Yeah, who cares? It was the 80s. Nobody <laughs> was paying that much attention. But it was a good song. It was. And uh, Christopher Walken was in it. Grace Jones was in it. She was pretty scary in that. Yeah, she was excellent. Um, talk about a martial artist. Um, but Max <laughs> Zorin is, did you know he was the product of genetic experiments by Nazis? Walken was? Well, not Walken, well, Max Zorin. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. I don't, I don't remember that. Yeah, and um, one of the unintended side effects was he was a complete psychopath. I thought you were going to say one of the side effects was his use of punctuation. <laughs> you are good, man. <laughs> Everybody does walking. I can't do a walking. Let's hear it. My No, <laughs> it's really just an altered uh, John Travolta. Why are you so weird? <laughs> Dude, that's great. Thanks. Uh, of course, Chuck, there's 006, Alec Trevelin. Yeah. What was he in? That was one of the Pierce Brosnan ones, wasn't it? Yeah. I think. Yeah, which I don't remember those. I love Pierce Brosnan. Like, oh, he was good. The fact that like he wasn't James Bond earlier, he's like, oh, yeah, you're going to cast Timothy Dalton, are you? Well, I'll go be Remington Steele, jerks. Yeah. And um, then they tried to get him again, time. right? I think so. And he was committed to Remington Steele, yeah. which was sort of like James Bond for TV. Oh, so did he do Remington Steele first? Oh, yeah. He did Remington Steele well, it goes back and forth. There was like Timothy Dalton was offered the role before Roger Moore. Did you know that? No, I didn't. When he was 21 years old, really, he was going to replace Sean Connery. Wow! And Dalton said, "I'm too young to play James Bond." And then he comes around years later, wow. just like Tim, just like uh, Brosnan did. Okay, but I am glad that Pierce Brosnan went in. I just happen to think that those his period of movies were unfortunate. I thought they were pretty good. I didn't like them. No? I'm really happy with Daniel Craig's stuff so far. Well, you know, my statement on that is that was the only direction they could take that franchise. After the Jason Bourne movies, you couldn't have a guy like winking at the camera like Roger Moore and like slapstick sounds and uh, sound effects. You had to take him in a, like a real bad, bad direction. Yes. And you mean like Simo Haya bad? Yeah. Um, so 006, Alec Trevelin. He is, I think, he informs the character Alex Krychek from X-Files. You think so, huh? <laughs> Very nice, Josh. Thanks. All right, so those are some of the villains. Clearly not all, but um, we should also talk about some of the people that James Bond had working on his side at MI6. All right, which we will call from here on out the superfluous characters. No, dude, they're great. M, Q, M was the head of MI6, and there were several M's. M was just a title, and uh, M was the one that's always frustrated with Bond, yet he knows that he's the blunt instrument of choice, you know, pretty much in every movie. Right. Uh, Q. He, I, you should say he or she for M. Huh? True. Dame Judi Dench took over. Yeah. Oh, man, she's doing a great job, too. Uh, Q <laughs> is the head of the Q branch. Judi Dench, did you hear that? Chuck just said you were doing a great job, so keep it up. Keep it up, Dane Judy Dench. <laughs> Dame? Dane? Dame. Dame. Yeah, she's a Dame. <laughs> Q is the head of the Q branch, MI6's research and development branch. And Q, uh, as you might know, is the guy who, in all the films, gives James his uh, gadgets. There's always that great scene where James goes into the laboratory and starts messing around with the gadgets and exasperates Q mm -hmm. because he's burning something or he's firing a missile inside and he shouldn't be. That's Q. Right. 
And he's uh, now been replaced by his former assistant, R. Right. Now, is R John Cleese? Yeah. Yeah, he's doing a good job. But he's the new Q. He just used to be R. Well, because Q died. Right. Llewellyn? Yes, Chuck. That was the actor that played the original Q. Is that right? right? Or the, the Roger Moore Q that I loved. Right. Who else we got? Felix Leiter, who I like, Jack Lord, Jeffrey Wright, both played him, oh, yeah? CIA agent. Uh-huh. And then there's another guy named Hayward Wade. Well, is he CIA? Yeah. I thought they said they didn't know if he was DEA or CIA. He was around before the DEA was. Was he? Yeah. All right. Um, and then you've got, I think Jack Wade is his name, and he was actually played by a couple people, including Joe Don Baker. In oh, the yeah. Pierce Brosnan ones. Yeah, yeah. He had a couple of American counterparts. That's a good point. And, little known fact, Joe Don Baker was in, oh, I can't remember the name of the movie, but it was one of the greatest Mystery Science Theater 3000s. Ever. Oh, really? Yeah. Bad movie? <laughs> <laughs> uh, and then, of course, we have to mention Money Penny, who was uh, M's personal assistant. And Money Penny, you always knew Money Penny because James would come in and flirt very much with her. And I always got the sense that if James were to ever settle down with anyone, which he clearly won't. It would have been Money Penny. Sure. Or at least he made her think that. Right. Every day was Secretary's Day when James Bond was around. <laughs> he was always just so nice to her and bringing her things from his travels. Shot glasses and stuff. Right. Spoons. <laughs> she Spoons. had an extensive spoon collection. <laughs> Refrigerator magnets. Chuck. Josh. Let's talk about the movie, shall we? Yeah, sure. Well, let's talk about James Bond on screen. Because it wasn't necessarily just relegated to the movies. Oh, yeah, good point. So James Bond first appears on screen, on the small screen, on a CBS TV series called Climax, with an exclamation point. Really? Yeah. Wow. Uh, and he was first played by a guy named Barry Nelson. And Barry Nelson, you may recognize as Mr. Ullman, the manager of The Overlook in Kubrick's The Shining, who tells Jack Torrance really? the ropes. That's the first guy to ever play James Bond. Wow. Yeah. Uh, was he English? No. American? Yes, yeah, CBS TV series. So we've had a Scotsman, quite a few Englishmen, uh-huh. an American, and an a Australian. Dame. And what? What do you mean Australian? I mean someone from Australia. Uh-huh. <laughs> that was George Lazenby, he was Australian. Was it? You know what happened to him? Well, he wasn't much of an actor. <laughs> well, it wasn't just that. He, after the success of his Bond movie, I mean, he played James Bond, and it was you know, filmed and, and produced and released. On Her Majesty's Secret Service. Right. Was um, the movie. He was like, holy cow, I'm James Bond, and I'm going to buy a boat and sail around the world for a while. And he came back, and his star had already faded, because he did one thing, and that was that. Oh, really? Yeah. Huh. He kind of blew it. He wasn't much of an actor either. It wasn't, but it wasn't just that. It was... Yeah. It, it was a combination of those two things. He was a bad dude, though. Like, he, he got the role, apparently, because he impressed Ian Fleming, because he... Uh, had a faux fight scene with a wrestler to, for his audition, mm-hmm. and he actually punched the guy. Wow. Like, got mad and punched him, and Fleming's like, this is our dude. Wow. Yeah, because Fleming wrote the Bond character as much darker. Yeah, the the novel character, for sure. Like, Roger Moore took it in a very... Awful direction. Specific direction, <laughs> you know, that was not the least bit like how uh, Ian Fleming had written them. You're the ultimate Roger Moore apologist. I love Roger Moore. <laughs> He's good in The Saint, and that's why I got the, the role, I think. Okay. The TV show, The Saint. Sure. It's a good one. All right, so Chuck, let's get back to the beginning again. So we talked about Barry Nelson, and on the big screen, the first Bond ever was Sean Connery, right? In yeah, Doctor well, no. they did they did a pilot, though, on TV as well. That's but, the Barry Nelson one. 
Oh, it was called Casino Royale, though, no? Right, it was based on Casino Royale. Oh, gotcha. Climax. Okay, I Which I think, that. you know how they used to do, like, um, they would they would have the name of the series, but then there'd, there'd be, like, different, like, uh, like, Wonderful World of Disney? Yeah. It was, like, the name of the series, but then there were different, like, documentaries or gotcha. cartoons or whatever. Okay. I think it was like that. And that flopped, and it they got canceled. They didn't know what they were doing with TV back in the day. They had no idea. Yeah. So, yeah, you're right. Dr. No was the first uh, film in 1962. And there's been 22 in total. No? Yes. And we're waiting. And that's official Bond films because they parodied him and other things. Woody Allen played him, for heaven's sake. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Uh, in, in the parody he did of Casino Royale. Yeah. Um, there's also a an unofficial Bond film with an official Bond, right? Let's hear it. Never Say Never Again. Yeah. That was Connery's... That was also fraught with uh, uh, lawsuits as you well. You know, that was based on the Thunderball lawsuit. Yeah, they, they remade Thunderball. Right. And they named it Never Say Never Again because Connery had said yeah. after 1971 that he'd never play Bond again. Yeah. Because he played Bond, what, for the first, like, six movies? Something like that? Uh, one, two, on. three, four, five, and then George Lazenby. Then he came back and did Diamonds Are Forever. And then after that came Roger Moore. Yes. And then Roger Moore had a pretty good run. He so did. so Sean Connery stops playing Bond. George Lazenby comes along, does it once, leaves. Sean Connery has to come back another time. After Sean Connery, they get Roger Moore. In the midst of Roger Moore's run, yeah. Sean Connery makes another Bond film. That's when we were kids, 12 too. 12 years after the last one he'd made. Yeah. Right? And, yeah. Kim Basinger was the Bond chick in that one. Yes, she was. And they called it Never Say Never Again because he'd said that he would never play Bond again. Never, Trebek. That's what he said. Right. <laughs> All right, game off. Let's pause here to talk more about Monopoly Go. Because in Monopoly Go, you can team up with your friends for time tournaments where you work together to build up each other's boards. It's very nice. That's right. And the more you win together, the more awesome prizes you unlock. And there's so much to get. I'm talking about unique stickers that you can trade with friends to complete albums for big prizes, cool new playing pieces to travel the boards with, or hilarious emojis for taunting friends when you smash their buildings or heist their vaults. Plus, Monopoly Go feels new and exciting every day with constantly changing tournaments and challenges, like digging for treasure or a robot pachinko machine. And there's always new timed events that help you win big, like massive multipliers for everything you win or rent frenzies. That's right. There's always something fun to discover in Monopoly Go. So get off the bench and go download it now for free on Google Play or the App Store. Game on. I'm Tamika D. Mallory. And it's your boy, my son, the general. And we are your host of TMI. New year, new name, new energy, but... Same old <laughs> Oh, yeah. And catch us every Wednesday on the Black Effect Network, breaking down social and civil rights issues, pop culture, and politics in hopes of pushing our culture forward to make the world a better place for generations to come. But that's not all. We will also have special guests to add their thoughts on the topics, as well as break down different political issues with local activists in their community. If you like to be informed, and to expand your thoughts, listen to TMI on the Black Effect Podcast Network, iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. That's right. Timothy Dalton, I guess we might as well venture into his years. 
Yeah, I I I saw those when they first came out, like in the theaters, and I didn't think anything of them. I don't know if they were over my head or whatever, but I didn't like them. They were pretty good. Living Daylights and License to Kill. They were both. Are um, they good, really? Yeah, I mean, they were. It was definitely a more novelistic Bond. Like he was darker and a little more bad dude. Mm-hmm. And that, I mean, it might have had something to do with it. it was coming off the heels of Roger Moore and his vaudeville act that he brought to Bond. <laughs> And Dalton had a two-picture run and then was replaced by who everyone thought should have been Bond before Dalton, Pierce Brosnan, for uh, one, two, three, four films. Right. And then they went the inevitable direction with a blonde Bond with Daniel Craig. Is that inevitable, you think? Well, I meant the inevitable way of making him a a tough dude. But yeah, his blondness was not inevitable. (laughs) You know, you make fun of Roger Moore, but he had a seven-picture stint as James Bond. Yeah, I mean, and that was our childhood. Trust yeah. me, dude, at the time, I loved it. But then when I got older, I revisited all of the Sean Connerys, and then I saw the butt-kickingness of Timothy Dalton, and now Daniel Craig, and now I'm kind of like, Roger Moore was kind of a joke huh. to me. No? You still stand by it? I do. All right. I like Roger Moore. Uh, Sam Neill was considered at one point. I could see him as James Bond. Yeah, he would have yeah. been bad. He was great in Dead Calm. Uh, yeah, that was a good movie. You know, I don't know that this even qualifies as a um, podcast. podcast. <laughs> People are going to be like, well, you guys are just kind of chit-chatting. <laughs> Chuck, there's also theories, tons of them. Best one, actually the only one I could find really, is the codename theory. Have you heard this? I have not. Cracked uh, got a lot of uh, publicity for it. By um, It's a fan theory. It basically says James Bond is a, it's a name that goes along with 007. And there's, each actor was playing an actual different person who had assumed this undercover name, James Bond. Really? Which explains the changes in personality. Yeah. Uh, it, it explains why Sean Connery was so suave and Roger Moore was so goofy. Sure. Uh, it explains why Daniel Craig and Timothy Dalton were so violent. Right, right. Um, it explains a lot of stuff, actually. It explains George Lazenby's departure because his wife, the only time James Bond has ever been married, died in that one on her, on her, her Majesty's Secret Service. Yeah, he had a wife. Most people don't know and that. And she was killed by Blofeld. Uh-huh. Right? Yeah. So he leaves after that. That explains that, right? Absolutely. There's actually holes in that theory. Do you know them? I know a couple. Like, for example, George Lazenby recognized gadgets that were f- debuted during Sean Connery's tenure. Oh, uh, right. If he was a new person, He would it would be new to him. He'd be like, what's his dart gun? Right. <laughs> Exactly. Right. Um, and uh, I think uh, The Spy Who Loved Me, uh-huh. Roger Moore is recognized from his college days at, at Cambridge as James Bond, oh, which yeah. would mean that he was using the name before then. But it's still a pretty cool theory. If you want any cool theory shot down, I recommend you go to commanderbond.net, mi6.co.uk, or jamesbondwiki.com. Those are some good sites. I'm going to retract my Roger Moore bashing a little bit okay i actually liked like four out of seven of his films okay see so you're right sometimes i forget about the awesomeness of live and let die and man with a golden gun Mm -hmm. for your eyes only those are all pretty good it was like octopussy moonraker was really silly does not age well Mm -hmm. at all and uh view to a kill i just can't get behind that view to a kill is awesome (laughs) What about um, The Spy Who Loved Me? That's the one with the underwater lotus. Yeah, yeah, great, great movie. Um, And I have one last fact. Are you ready? Oh, yeah. 
the legendary Bond producer, co-producer, Albert Cubby Broccoli. Yeah. His family invented broccoli. They crossed cauliflower with Rabe and invented broccoli, and he actually left the family farm to go to Hollywood to pursue his fortune when he was like 18. Are you making this up? I am not. He invented broccoli? His family did. His like, parents, right. grandparents. That's a pretty good fact. Broccoli. Very cool. Good for him. They're in trouble now, though, because MGM is in trouble. Yeah, but they're saying like it's just a blip on the radar. If you listen to any anybody who's yeah. attached to the Bond 23... Oh, it'll happen at Project, some point, but it's being like, it's fine. Yeah, it's being delayed big time though because MGM's and and over their heads financially. If you know anything about um, <laughs> MGM, if you're an insider at MGM, yeah. we want to hear from you. Let us know what's going on with Bond. That's funny. Uh, we should we got to talk about Bond girls. That's one of the hallmarks of Bond films, and uh, usually there's two Bond girls at least. There's like a hot villain and like a hot. Uh, an aide that helps him out in some way. Sometimes right. she turns out to be a villain, but there's usually two Bond girls, and he's equally attracted to both. Like Grace Jones? Yeah, he was attracted to her for some reason. <laughs> uh, they are uh, femme fatales. Like I said, Bond cannot help but fall for them, even though they it might mean he has to eventually kill them after he makes sweet love to them. <laughs> right. <laughs> and uh, I'm going to go ahead and ask you what your favorite Bond girl is. I just um, recently realized that Carrie Lowell uh, was a Bond girl, and yeah. I used to have the biggest crush on her when I would watch um, Wild Orchid. No, uh, Law and Order reruns on A and E. Yeah, they used to show like Law and Order for like eight hour blocks on A and E, and I'd be like, I'm not going to class today. I'm just going to watch <laughs> Law and Order. And she was on a lot of them, and ah. she, she, yeah, she would be my favorite Bond girl. I'm going with uh, Ursula Andress. Yeah. She was hot, dude. Back in the day, she played Honey Rider. Mm-hmm. And that's another uh, hallmark of the Bond women is they usually had really awful names that hinted at sexual innuendo. <laughs> yeah. You know? Plenty O'Toole. <laughs> Honey Rider, Pussy Galore. Uh, actually, Solitaire, Jane Seymour. She was pretty good in Live and Let Die. Like that. She was actually a really good actor. Okay. Uh, Moonraker, of course, uh, had Holly Goodhead. And uh, A View to a Kill had Tanya Roberts <laughs> as Stacy Sutton. They didn't even give her a cool name. So, Chuck, what's the best uh, Bond theme song? Well, L- let me take a wild guess. I- I'm going to say Live and Let Die is probably my favorite. <laughs> cause you I would have put $1,000 on that. Or, um, what's her name? Uh, Carly Simon, Spy Who Loved Me. Nobody does it better. Love that song. Dude. Best Bond theme song. If it's not Duran View to a Kill. Oh, okay. If it's not that, it is Nancy Sinatra singing You Only Live Twice. Yeah, that was awesome. Yes, it was. Um, Shirley Bassey, just another little factoid. She did two. No, she did more than that. She did Goldfinger. She did Diamonds Are Forever. She did two. Moonraker. Moonraker. <laughs> that's, that's three total. Uh, I was also a big fan of Sheena Easton's For Your Eyes Only. Yeah, she did a good one. And Rita Coolidge, All Time High from Octopussy. Didn't Tom Jones do Thunderball or something? He did. Yeah. He did Thunderball. Quite a guy. And uh, since we're talking about the songs th- that have really gotten lame in recent years, like the Chris Cornell one and Garbage, you probably didn't even remember they did songs. Garbage did the one for... Um... World Is Not Enough. Oh, okay. Pierce Brosnan. Yeah. And Cheryl Crow did one. Did she really? Yeah. Well, it is lame. 
and uh, Madonna did one, and and now it's gotten to the point where they're just like, like the last one they put Jack White with Alicia Keys. It's Up awful. next is Miley Cyrus. Oh God, say it ain't so. Bond twenty three. Uh, what else do we have here? <laughs> this is the podcast that won't <laughs> die. No, I do have. It's that. like James Bond; it just goes on. I do have a couple of more facts. Okay. Well, first of all, before we move on, if we're going to talk about the songs, we need to talk about the opening sequences, the title sequences. Mm-hmm. When you're a young Baptist boy and there are naked silhouetted women jumping <laughs> on trampolines, yeah, it's very titillating. And arousing. And arousing for a young boy named Chuck. I'm titillated and aroused. And then the opening sequence of the films typically is some awesome action scene. And then the title sequence comes up. There'll be like a seven-minute action scene. Right. They call that a cold opening, buddy. A cold opening? Uh-huh. Yeah, it's very nice. And I uh, just got a couple of more facts for you, Josh, and then I'll <laughs> let you put this to bed. All right. With What would you say is the highest grossing Bond film of all time, adjusted gross? Adjusted gross, I would say Casino Royale. No. Top two all time, Thunderball and Goldfinger. You're a liar. Adjusted gross. You know, Casino Royale worldwide netted like almost $600 million so far. Bunch of money. Thunderball and Goldfinger did more. Did they really? Yeah, Thunderball in 1965, dude, grossed $141 million. What? And that, Wait, is that worldwide or U.S.? That's worldwide. Okay. And that is close to what License to Kill grossed in 1989. Yeah. That grossed like 150-something. And Thunderball, you know, 30 years more grossed $141 million. Right, but what I'm saying is Casino Royale grossed $600 million. Well, I mean, yeah. That's not an adjusted gross, though. You can't compare Oh, I see. You're figuring dollars. inflation in. Yeah, that's why it's called an adjusted gross. <laughs> and that's about it. I mean, we could say the cars he used real quickly, the Aston Martin, obviously. My favorite is the Lotus. The so. Lotus, the Alfa Romeo, and then that new Audi that's pretty cool. Do you like the Audi? Yeah, I mean, it looks awesome. Okay. But I do miss the Lotus and the fact that it could also be a submarine. Right. And lastly, Chuck, I would like to say to all the kids of our generation, if you ever noticed a similarity between Inspector Gadget and James Bond, (laughs) you were dead on. (laughs) Yeah. You think so? Yeah. All right. So that's about it. If you want to know more about James Bond, um, like I said, there are three, at least three really good websites for... um, all things Bond fandom. You can check out our website by typing James Bond. Brings up a bunch of stuff in the handy search bar. And now, <laughs> if you can believe it, it is time for listener mail. Yes, Josh, I'm going to call this uh, samurai stuff from Thomas. Guys, I'm a total samurai geek. I practice Japanese sword-based martial arts, kendo, and yado. I've read all this material about samurai... And your podcast was a very good introduction, and I thank you for it. However, I am kind of surprised you did not mention the greatest samurai of all time, Miyamoto Musashi. This guy was the epitome of everything samurai were supposed to be. A dedicated soivant, a poet, a painter, a calligrapher, a philosopher, a general, and an all-round butt-kicking killer. Not only did he write The Book of Five Rings, he also killed 60 men in single combat before age 40, not to mention all the guys he killed in warfare. At one point in your podcast, you talked about the wooden katana called bokung in Japanese. Uh, yes, it was a practice sword, Josh, but it was also a weapon in its own right. Because Japan is such a wet climate, swords were sometimes destroyed by rust. Bokun were cheap and easy to replace, 
and Musashi was famous for winning some of his greatest battles with the wooden sword. Ow. I know. Can you imagine, dude? Ow. Yeah. Getting uh, smacked to death. Well, he says instead of cutting someone's heads off, he would brain them. Which I guess means... Like you them. crack their skull open. Yeah, until their brains come out. Um, also, he was a big fan of using two swords at one time, sometimes two katana, sometimes the short and the long, whatever it took to do the job. You guys rock. I love your show. I'm grateful for the Samurai Show from Thomas. Well, thank you, Thomas, for the extra information. As I said, we are always interested in knowing everything we possibly can about a subject. So if you have anything to tell us about James Bond that we missed, that we got wrong, that we need to know, we want to hear it. Wrap it up and send it in an email. Don't forget to spank it on the bottom and maybe serve it a uh, dry martini, shaken, not stirred. Address it to stuffpodcast at howstuffworks.com. For more on this and thousands of other topics, visit howstuffworks.com. Want more How Stuff Works? Check out our blogs on the howstuffworks.com homepage. Brought to you by the reinvented 2012 Camry. It's ready. Are you? Hey, if you haven't heard of Visible, well, now you have. They're the wireless carrier that's making wireless visible. It's in the name. Switch to Visible, the wireless company that makes wireless visible. Get a one-line plan with unlimited 5G data powered by Verizon as low as $25 a month every month, taxes and fees included. Use promo code STUFF. 20 to receive $20 off your first month for listening to this podcast. Switch now at Visible.com. For data management practices and additional terms, visit Visible.com. The Visible monthly rate is $25 per month. I am the ferryman. In the shadows of the afterlife, the ferryman of souls guides America's most influential spirits to their eternal rest. Where are you taking me? Are you death? This road is not on any map. How much for a ticket? All I ask for in payment is a tale. I don't know who got to Kennedy first. And the devastation those first bombs caused. I've never been to hell, but I know intimately the hymns of the damned. Binge this season of The Passage now. Listen on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen to podcasts.